Welcome to the Cosmos in You podcast, where we interview scientists, philosophers, and leading thinkers to discuss the nature of our reality and the impact it has on our daily lives. Dr. Rick Strassman is a native of Los Angeles, graduated from Stanford University, and received his medical degree from the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York City. He trained in adult psychiatry at the UC Davis Medical Center in Sacramento and later took a fellowship in clinical psychopharmacology research at UC San Diego. And later, while at the University of New Mexico, Dr. Strassman performed the first new American clinical research with psychedelic drugs in over 20 years. This was from 1990 to 1995. And he focused on the powerful natural occurring compound DMT. He wrote about this research in the popular book, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, which also inspired an independent documentary by the same name, which he co-produced and is available on Hulu TV. And I watched it's fascinating. Uh, He's authored or co-authored nearly 40 peer-reviewed scientific papers in the field of psychedelic drug research. So in this interview, we talk about the similarities between the experiences of deep meditation and psychedelic drugs. We talk about what ayahuasca is and why it's so popular. And if you've never heard of it uh, and are curious, you'll learn all about it here. We talk about what he's learned about the theory of spiritual experience after decades of research. I mean, this guy really has such deep, vast research and knowledge on this. And finally, the debate between the brain being a receiver to another realm versus our brain creating the other realm and what his theory is on that. So this and so many other fascinating topics. So without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome, Dr. Strassman, and thank you so much for being here today. Well, you're welcome, Susanna. Thanks for having me on your show today. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. So if we could get started with you telling us a bit more about your background, your story, your journey, and what brought you to where you are today, that'd be great. Um, Well, uh, I guess my main claim to fame, uh, if there is one, is that I performed the first new human research with a psychedelic... um, you know, drug in uh, the U.S. in a generation. And that was a study giving a drug called DMT, uh, stands for dimethyltryptamine, a study I began in 1990 and wrapped up in 1995. Um, And I was drawn to this work uh, because of an abiding interest in the biology of spiritual states. Um, in my undergraduate years in California in the late 1960s and early 19, uh, you know, 1970s, um, I was struck by the great you know, similarities in descriptions uh, between those undergoing an experience with a psychedelic you know, drug and also people describing their experiences um, resulting from the practice of specific meditation techniques, um, you know, Buddhist meditation, Hindu meditation. Um, and uh, I began thinking there must be some common biological underpinnings in, you know, both of those, uh, you know, syndromes, uh, you know, to the extent that, uh, you know, both of those interventions 
you know, might result in visions and voices, uh, ecstasy or terror, you know, novel insights, out-of-body experiences, those kinds of things. I believe that there must be some underlying, uh, you know, commonality at the uh, brain, you know, physiology, uh, you know, level. Um, so I, you know, basically went to medical school in in order to study psychedelic drugs. I trained in psychiatry and then attained uh, and you know, then obtained some extra training in doing psychopharmacology research. Um, I started off with an interest in the pineal gland and its hormone melatonin in the 1980s, uh, my first independent research study, and I was drawn to the pineal gland because of its you know, venerable history as a spiritual organ and was you know, thinking that, that perhaps uh, the results of meditation and the effects of you know, psychedelic drugs were you know, mediated uh, you know, through the pineal gland. Um, and uh, in the 1980s, there wasn't that much information you know, known about melatonin. So you know, there were some, you know, uh, you know, there were some preliminary data indicating, you know, that it had, uh, you know, some profoundly psychedelic, you know, kinds of effects. But uh, as a result of our study, we, you know, basically, you know, determined that the, you know, that the main response, you know, to melatonin psychologically um, was sedation. So in the meantime, I learned about DMT. It's also a naturally occurring substance, uh, which is made in the lungs. And it's quite psychedelic. It was discovered in you know, psychedelic uh, plants, and then in in, uh, in the 1940s was you know was then determined to be extremely psychedelic in humans in the 1950s, and you know, then it was discovered in human body fluids about you know 10 years after that. You know, so I was you know thinking if uh, you know giving. Uh, if you know giving humans you know DMT you know replicated certain uh, you know features of non you know drug spiritual experiences you know then I could argue that you know uh, you know the naturally occurring DMT um, was you know behind those uh, states in uh, the non you know drug experience. So going into the going into the experiment, the question you were trying to answer was can you achieve the same state with a natural occurring molecule from the body as from a plant or? Um, well, you know, that would be, I guess, you know, something which would be, you know, subsequent, you know, to the work I was doing. I was more interested in uh, the mechanisms of action, um, you know, for non-drug spiritual states like meditation, you know, near-death states, um, those kinds of things. In other words, if I gave this, you know, drug and it replicated certain, you know, features of non-drug states, you know, the, you know, uh, um, then that would argue for a, you know, role of naturally occurring DMT in those states. Um, like if uh, I gave DMT and you know replicated aspects of dreams or of the enlightenment experience of you know Buddhist practice you know, then I would be able to, you know, suggest that, you know, naturally occurring elevations of, you know, of, you know, DMT activity, you know, might be responsible for certain, you know, properties of dreams or certain, you know, properties of the enlightenment experience. 
And so when people are in deep meditation and, and, um, and, and maybe this was part of the study, when they are in deep meditation, do we see elevated DMT in the body? Well, you know, that's a good question. And we still really have a hard time, you know, measuring levels of naturally occurring DMT. Um, you know, so, th- you know, there are a number of, you know, ways of approaching the question of is naturally elevated levels of DMT responsible, you know, for these, you know, non-drug spiritual states. You know, one is, you know, to give DMT and, you know, to compare descriptions of the effects of the drug with the descriptions of, you know, of, you know, non-drug spiritual experience. You know, you could also, you know, give, you know, DMT to the same person who may have undergone his own spontaneous enlightenment experience and ask them to compare, you know, within themselves the response to DMT with, you know, that of their nirvana experience. Um, or you could, you know, measure levels of, uh, you know, DMT activity uh, in, you know, people undergoing these, you know, non-drug uh, states, you know, like the alien abduction experience was, you know, something which, uh, you know, I started to, you know, think about as well. But, you know, near-death states, enlightenment states, even dreams, those kinds of things, you know, the concentrations of DMT in the body are extremely low under normal circumstances uh, in the order of a billionth of a gram per milliliter. You know, so we're still not quite able to, you know, measure levels of naturally occurring DMT. You know, so we still can't quite say, yeah, if, if you're deep in, in uh, you know, if you're deep in meditation or if you're in the dream state, your um, activity of DMT um, is increased or not. Um it you know may turn out to be the case you know that metabolites of DMT are the more accurate way of you know determining levels of activity, or or even you know uh, um, you know genetic uh, transcription or the enzyme which is responsible for DMT synthesis. Um, but uh, yeah, still um, you know purely speculative at this point if you know, levels of, you know, DMT are increased in these non-drug states. You know, but if you compare the response to a high dose of DMT to non-drug states, you know, there is a, you know, a, a you know, fair amount of overlap. Got it. Okay. So, and I want to take you back for a moment before we jump into the DMT research that you did from, I believe it was 1990 to 1995. Um, prior to that, when you talked about your interest in this, had you taken psychedelics and it had your own experiences or friends did it or you, you know, researched it or what was, what was the impetus? And if you did do it, what, what did you experience? Or am I allowed to ask that? Or is that illegal? <laughs> am I going to get you in trouble? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's a commonly asked, you know, question and, you know, I, you know, got kind of a, you know, common answer, you know, which is if I, if if I you know tell people that I've used drugs or taken DMT, then I'll be accused of being a zealot. And if I you know tell people that I've not, I'll be accused of not knowing what I'm talking about. So uh, okay. I can just you know say that, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I could just you know you know say that it was all around me at the time. Uh, you know, my friends were all talking about these things. You know, there was research happening. So 
um, I, you know, developed at least an intellectual interest in the area. Got it. Okay. So, so then, um, so take us to this, um, experiment. Um, what was it? How many people were involved? What did you learn? What were the results? Yeah. Um, well, I, began, you know, the paperwork for the study in, you know, 1988. And, and you know, because it was the first human study with a Schedule One compound like this in a long, long time, it required a couple of years of, you know, paperwork with FDA, DEA, you know, the University of New Mexico boards, the state of New Mexico boards. Well, so we began the um, actual, uh, you know, protocol of of, of you know giving the drug in uh, November 1990, um, and you know by the time we wrapped up in in September of 1995, uh, we had given about uh, uh, you know 400 doses of you know varying uh, strengths uh, of DMT to uh, close to five dozen volunteers um, in a you know number of you know different research protocols. Uh, the first uh, study. We studied, you know, 13 individuals, and we gave them uh, a small dose of DMT, a couple of medium doses, and a high dose. Uh, we gave it intravenously. Uh, you know, usually when you know people use it recreationally, um, it's smoked. In other words, um, you vaporize the free base and then you inhale the vapor. Um, but you know that was impractical on a research unit, and we didn't really know what you know kind of lung problems that might cause and whatnot. So, you know, we gave it intravenously. Um and you know, so people start to, you know, uh experience the uh, effect of the drug within a few heartbeats. Um and the effects, you know, peak probably within about a minute to, you know, two and a half minutes or so. And then uh the effects begin resolving at around you know on the five minute point and are completely resolved in the space of about a half hour. Got it. And how do you know when they start exper experiencing it? Well, uh, usually, uh, you know, people would, you know, say something like, oh, the drug effects are starting, or um, I feel it, or whoa, or those kinds of comments. Um, and, you know, like afterwards, I would also ask, you know, how quickly did you, you know, feel the effects coming on? You know, we gave everybody a small dose, you know, kind of like as um, as a, you know, training dose, as it were, and a large dose, you know, like, um, you know, the following day in order to acquaint, you know, people with the smallest and the highest, you know, dose um, of the study, you know, you know, that they would be exposed to, you know, so, you know, we would uh, converse in, you know, great detail afterwards about, you know, the time course and the, you know, specifics of what they underwent, you know, during, you know, the drug session. Got it. Okay. So, um, so what were some of the things that they experienced? Yeah, well, I'll, you know, concentrate on what was a, you know, typical high dose effect. Um, and uh, it would begin within a few heartbeats. And the first thing that, you know, people would, you know, feel is what, you know, they came to describe as a rush, which, you know, was the, you know, sudden onset of intense inner pressure uh, and acceleration. Um, you know, the room would begin to, you know, uh, you know, break up in, you know, pixelated, um, you know, manner. 
uh, you know, it was a bit confusing, you know, for people because the DMT, you know, visions would be superimposed on the room, which was a clinical research room at, at you know, um, in, in the, the hospital at the University of New Mexico. You know, so after a few, um, you know, uh, you know, confusing um, encounters, you know, for the early volunteers, we instituted everybody wearing eye shades um, in order to, you know, promote a more inward experience and to, you know, minimize the, you know, disorientation of the overlapping worlds, you know, kind of interfering with each other, you know, but um, the first, you know, few seconds, the first, you know, 30 seconds or so, you know, there would be a, you know, a, a kaleidoscopic, um, Display, uh, you know, display of you know visions um, that would be, you know, that would be accompanying you know the rush, and then in the space of a, uh, um, of about a minute, you know, the rush would climax in what you know uh, you know people described as a uh, well as a you know separation um, of their consciousness from their body, in which point you know they would enter into a world of light. Which was, you know, disembodied, um, and uh, the light was um, extremely bright and uh, extremely, you know, saturated, rapidly, you know, moving, you know, morphing, you know, buzzing. Um, early on in the in the course of the rush, as well, you know, there was a you know sound that would accompany it, you know, kind of a high pitched, you know, whining uh, um, kind of sound. Um, which would also uh, climax you know, with the feeling of the separation uh, of the body, you know, from the mind. Um, and, you know, I would say at least maybe half the time, three quarters of the time, you know, the visions or, you know, the, uh, you know, you know, the kaleidoscopic, you know, visual, um, you know, display would then, you know, morph into in more recognizable figures. Um, which we ended up calling beings, and you know they might you know take the shape of plants or animals, insects, birds, you know reptiles, um, even animated furniture or you know figurines, and you know and uh, these beings you know seem to have intelligence and awareness. Um, you know they knew the volunteer was in their space. You know they interacted with the volunteer. Um, the volunteer was able to, you know, interact with them. And when you say, in, when, when you, sorry to interrupt for a minute, but when you say interact, do you mean um, telepathically or how, what, what was the interaction? Yeah, you know, sometimes verbally, in which case it was usually, you know, telepathic. Uh, you know, um, occasionally, you know, people heard the, the spoken word, um, you know, like, you know, with their ears as it were. But, you know, generally... It was a you know mind to mind communication, uh, you know sometimes information, uh, you know sometimes you know just an acknowledgement of each other's you know presences, uh, you know sometimes you know physical kinds of interactions, you know healing and you know touching, you know being yanked or pulled through space, uh, the exchange of information, you know physically, you know healing, uh, you know physically. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, visual, uh, you know, kinds of, uh, of, uh, of, you know, relationships, in which case, you know, um, um, the beings would transmit in information visually, um, you know, sometimes emotionally, 
you know, there'd be a, an exchange of love or a fear, those kinds of things as well. You know, so there was a lot of interactions as opposed to the unitive mystical kind of, you know, of, of, you know, white light uh, experience that both the volunteers and I were mostly expecting, you know, so that was kind of a, uh, you know, quite surprising finding, um, you know, was the lack of the white light mystical state, but a more, um, you know, commonly encountered uh, interactive relational one, you know, so then, you know, the, you know, the, uh, um, so then within the space of, you know, uh, you know, maybe, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, you know, people would start coming down, you know, they would feel their bodies, you know, they would stretch and yawn and, you know, move their fingers. And, you know, then they'd be, you know, pretty normal within a half hour, they'd be drinking tea and, you know, chatting with me, you know, filling out, you know, questionnaires. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, if people are interested in more, um, Dr. Strassman has written, one of the few books that he has written is called DMT, The Spirit Molecule, and it was also made into a documentary, which you can watch for free on Hulu online. Um, and in, in watching that, I, which is phenomenal, it's fascinating to watch, um, one of the women, I believe it was a woman who said, I felt like a caveman in a computer lab. And I thought that was a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah, you know, generally, you know, the beings were, you know, super intelligent, you know, super powerful. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, a strange aspect of the encounter with the beings is, you know, that oftentimes they expected the volunteers. You know, uh, they were, you know, happy that they were there or, you know, they were surprised and angry that they were there. But, you know, generally, you know, there was... Uh, you know, kind of like a, you know, sense that, oh, you know, finally you've made contact with us. Yeah, and in uh, the case of the, you know, woman you were talking about from the film, uh, you know, she felt, uh, you know, kind of dumb in their presence. Like, you know, they were so advanced and, you know, so intelligent and, you know, lived in a, you know, kind of, uh, you know, non-physical you know, realm, you know, that our, you know, level of existence, you know, seemed kind of, you know, crude uh, and, you know, simple compared to theirs. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I heard a lot from the um, volunteers was that that time there was no concept of time in the trip. So you know, somebody came back and said, um, "I experienced a thousand years in fifteen minutes." So that that seemed to be another part of it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, most you know people would be uh, yeah. You, you know, they'd be quite surprised. Uh, you know, when they would ask, you know, like how much time has passed? And I'd say 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, you know, the majority, you know, didn't think, of, you know, that, well, that years had passed or, you know, thousands of years had passed, but, you know, like an hour or two at most, um, you know, so, you know, yeah, you know, there was uh, quite a bit of information and experience uh, you know, that was compressed into a very short period. And and what did the volunteers bring back from the experience? Were they was there healing amongst any of them? Were there new tools, new view on life, or what? What did they? Um, how were they changed from the experience? Yeah, um, so that's a you know important question, and it's, and it's one that I you know continue you know to wrestle with you know not only with you know my own work you know, but within the larger, you know, context of the, you know, current, uh, 
you know, renewal of interest in, you know, doing human psychedelic research. Um, our study wasn't really, you know, therapeutic in intent. Um, we only used experienced, you know, psychedelic users. And we were, you know, drawing quite a few, uh, you know, biological, you know, variables um, as opposed to, you know, doing, uh, you know, treatment for depression or substance abuse or even for spiritual purposes. You know, these were just, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of simple dose response studies, you know, give the drug at various doses and, you know, monitor, uh, you know, their responses as, as, you know, carefully as we could. Um, but still, everybody was interested in the spiritual, you know, properties or the, you know, psychological, you know, healing, you know, potential of uh, the psychedelics uh, in, in, you know, general and in you know, particular uh, with respect to DMT. Um, you know, I think the most, you know, common, you know, takeaway that people returned with was, you know, just the you know, the certainty of, you know, the existence of a non-ordinary plane of reality. Um, you know, people were convinced, you know, that what they had, you know, undergone wasn't a dream, you know, wasn't a hallucination, and it, you know, wasn't even close to other experiences, you know, that they had, you know, had had on other psychedelic drugs, you know, but that it was the actual, you know, witnessing or you know, or you know, perceiving of an alternate you know level of um, of reality, you know, like it was a you know new technology as opposed you know to a drug, um, you know. So that was you know the most you know consistent uh, well report uh, that you know people um, returned with. You know, they were convinced of you know the reality basis of what they had just perceived. Um, and other than that, it was a mixed, you know, bag, uh, you know, some people experienced healing, but other people were harmed or frightened, you know, terribly. Um, a number of people described, you know, um, a you know, feeling of no longer being afraid of dying. And I think that was, you know, because of the profound amount of body, uh, or, you know, incorporeal or, you know, non you know, physical nature, of, you know, the world that they had, you know, just entered into. You know, some people got, you know, new personal insights into their job or their life or their spiritual practices. Uh, but, you know, by and large, uh, you know, the long-term effects or the, you know, you know, the profound effects, you know, they were, you know, more subtle. They took, you know, some time to develop. I think if it were a, you know, naive group who had, you know, never been exposed to these, you know, drugs before in the you know, context of a specific, you know, uh, you know, goal like a spiritual experience or the, you know, uh, the treatment of a disorder of some sort or, or, um, or another, um, we, you know, would have come, you know, back with, you know, more measurable and, uh, you know, discrete, you know, kinds of, um, uh, you know, long-term effects. Got it. Um, and, and to shift gears a bit, um, DMT is a part is a part of the plants that are used in um, ayahuasca. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, so ayahuasca is what you might call an orally active DMT preparation. Uh, it's um, okay. it's and for those, um, it's who, yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say for those who don't 
who those who don't know what it is, do you mind um, just giving us a little background of what is it and how is it used? And sure, yeah, it's 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 a combination of you know two plants. Uh, you know, one contains DMT, and uh, the other contains an inhibitor of the enzymes that normally break down DMT if it's uh, swallowed. Um, you know, if you swallow even a large amount of DMT, it's broken down in the gut immediately. But if you combine it with an enzyme inhibitor, it it will it will allow the DMT to stay in the gut, you know, long enough, you know, to be absorbed in the bloodstream. Um, you know, so as opposed to injecting or smoking DMT, where the effects begin within a few seconds, peak within a couple of minutes, and are over in a half hour. When you uh, when you drink ayahuasca, which is an orally active form of DMT, it starts in about an hour. Peak effects are around three hours or so, and the and you know people feel you know normal at around the six hour point. Um, yeah, it's kind of a you know miraculous you know thing you know that the natives in Latin America you know discovered the you know the combination of these two plants. But you know there you have it. Um, it's been used for you know thousands of years in Latin America uh, for spiritual you know purposes for healing for hunting locating lost objects you know cursing people um, even you know it can be used for black magic and spiritual warfare um, yeah and it's become increasingly you know popular in uh, the West in all kinds of contexts you know shamanic ones you know new age ones. Uh, it's being uh, it, it's being uh, it's being you know studied in you know in the uh, in the clinical research you know setting as well. Uh, you, you know there are a couple of you know churches in uh, you know the U.S. with you know their roots in Brazil, which have got you know legal protection, you know to use ayahuasca in their church you know ceremonies, kind of like you know peyote for the Native American church. You know, so it's, you know, quite popular. There's, you know, movies. There's a lot of ayahuasca, you know, tourism happening in Latin America, especially, you know, Peru. Um, yeah, you know, so it's, uh, you know, kind of, you know, bringing DMT in, in, in uh, to a larger, you know, audience than just, you know, the pure smoked, you know, form of the substance. Yeah, and so, because <clears throat> you do hear a lot about it, I, it seems like, in the last... Uh, I don't know, two to three years, I've heard a lot more about it. Um, and I'm curious for people who are curious about, I, I would think that's the, the most, I want to say readily available way to experience DMT or experience this, um, have the spiritual experience in that way. Um, so for those who, who would go, and and to drink the tea and to go on this, you know, let's call it six-hour journey. What are some typical things that people experience, or what are the benefits, or why do it, or what happens? What can you uh, shed light on for us? Yeah. Um, well, so usually, well, let's see. I suppose you know uh, the most popular you know context. Um, is in a group, you know, setting. I'm um, either in Latin America, you know, kind of the shamanic setting, uh, or else in, you know, kind of new age, you know, therapy groups where, um, you know, there still is, you know, some shamanic overlay, but, uh, you know, there's, you know, more, you know, psychological activities going on as well. But, uh, you know, it's a slower, you know, longer DMT experience. You know, um, 
one of the things which occurs with ayahuasca, which isn't you know the case when you use pure DMT, is uh, um, you know that the plant which contains the inhibitor of the enzyme, you know, can cause you know some diarrhea and some vomiting, you know, so that you know can occur um, at any you know point of an ayahuasca uh, you know journey, especially early on, but at any time of uh, the session, you know, but the visions, you know, begin within about an hour. Um, you can be out of body, uh, for an hour or so. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, you know, people will, uh, you know, describe the, you know, consciousness of the plant, um, in a, you know, feminine, you know, terms, uh, um, as a great healer, you know, so, you know, you know, there can be, uh, um, more prolonged and extensive kind of uh, in, interaction with what might be called the spirit of ayahuasca in kind of a you know give and take and a healing uh, you know process but you know at the same time it, it you know it you know can be horrifying uh, and you know terrifying and you know traumatic and those kinds of you know things as well like any big you know psychedelic experience yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I have heard that as well. It can go one way or the other. So when it does go horrifying or bad, what does that mean? Does that mean you see, um, you know, what leads? Is there a rhyme or reason to why that happens? And and what happens when it's bad? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, you can be um, attacked as a as 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 opposed to being healed, let's say, uh, you, you can be you know ripped apart as opposed to put back together. Um, you, you could be horrified and you, you could be tortured um, as you know well as you know being uh, you know ecstatic and you know healed and comforted. You know, so I think it's really important to you know prepare yourself as best you can. You know before. Uh, you know, taking ayahuasca or any, you know, psychedelic experience. Oh, and, you know, one thing, um, I make it a point, you know, to, you know, to remember, you know, to tell people in, you know, the context of our conversation, um, I'm not encouraging anybody, you know, to take drugs or break the law uh, or anything along those lines. You know, like a lot of people, you know, send me emails and they wonder about this drug or that drug or they want to take ayahuasca and they're wondering about, you know, what to do. You know, should they stop, you know, you know, taking their antidepressant or their schizophrenic and they're wondering if it'll help with their schizophrenia. You know, so I, you know, uniformly say I don't encourage anybody to take drugs, especially if you have a, a you know, pre-existing, you know, psychological, you know, condition or if you're on any medication, you know, but still, I, I mean, people are going to do what, you know, they're going to do. So if, you know, they're convinced or, you know, determined, you know, you know, uh, you know, to take a psychedelic drug, you know, they ought to be as, you know, well prepared as they can, you know, psychologically, you know, physically, uh, spiritually make certain, you know, that the context is as, you know, supportive as, you know, possible. Uh, um, well, you wouldn't want to be, you know, taking any psychedelic, including ayahuasca, with a group of people that you don't know or or feel uncomfortable with in a noisy, dirty environment. Um, you know, you um, you want to optimize, uh, uh, you know, the uh, you know possibility 
of a you know positive experience if at all possible. Um, and you know that's you know not to say that everybody has a bad experience on ayahuasca. You know most people don't. You know most people you know find it useful. But uh, you know I you know get a steady you know trickle of emails you know from people saying. Oh, I was damaged on ayahuasca. I've never been the same. I have panic attacks that won't go away. I was hospitalized for psychosis after drinking ayahuasca. You know, so um, I think, you know, one has to be extremely careful. Um, you have to know your source and you have to, you know, trust, uh, you know, the people that are going to be giving it to you and that you'll be, uh, you know, taking it with um, all those, uh, you know, kinds of, you know, precautions are important and even so you can't really guarantee you know that you won't you know get into a you know tight place um you know in my study we really screen people carefully you know for any ongoing psychological mental problems and and even then uh you know some people uh you know panicked or you know had bad trips you know you know they were temporary and you know they pulled out of it but uh still uh you you can never be too safe yeah and so, um, thank you for, for sharing all that. Um, in, in thinking about the, the practical implications of this or in, in our daily lives of taking what people have learned, whether we experience it ourselves or we, we observe and, and learn from others who have, based on your body of research and, and what you've experienced, um, what are, what are some of the theories um, that you are thinking about now um, about how the other realm works or what's actually going on? What are some of the things that you are um, wrestling with now or thinking about now? Well, um, I think, you know, one of the issues is, you know, what is, you know, the nature of the DMT world? Is it completely in our mind? Or is it completely external to us, like dark matter or parallel universes, which we're now able to perceive when our you know brain is you know chemically you know modified as a result of taking DMT, or is it some you know combination thereof? Um, and I think it's some you know combination thereof. Um, I you know don't think it's all in your mind, uh, and I. Don't don't think it's all out there. I think you know there's you know a uh, you know synergy or an interdependence of our being able to apprehend these external worlds, which I think have got you know some uh, freestanding and objective reality you know to them. Um, I don't think it's like, for example, a, a completely a dream or some kind of you know wishful thinking or projection. Um, but I think at the same time, we have to, uh, you know, kind of clarify, we have to uh, clarify our minds as best as we can in order to, you know, perceive those external worlds as uh, accurately um, as well as is possible. You know, so I've been, you know, thinking along the lines of these, uh, you know, substances, especially, you know, DMT. Um, is stimulating the you know function of the imagination, and you know that isn't, uh, and 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 I'm not using the term imagination, uh, like which is the most you know uh, you know common use 
um, which is you know making things up, but uh, more as a way of describing that you know part of the mind in which you know, perceptions take place and emotional feelings, you know, bodily perceptions, you know, new ideas, those you know kinds of things. You know, that is you know the part of the mind where those you know phenomena um, are located. You know, so I think it uh, these you know compounds strengthen the imagination um, and and will allow us to um, you know perceive things which we're not able to perceive of, of uh, you know normally. You know, so I've been you know developing a you know theory of you know uh, spiritual experience. You know, uh, uh, which I uh, began you know working on as a result of my of of my study with DMT, uh, which is what I call a you know top down model rather than a bottom up you know model. Um, you know, the bottom up you know model is the you know is uh, the reigning you know paradigm of you know the biology of spiritual experience, which is called you know neurotheology. Um, in other words, um, your brain responds to any number of stimuli with a reflex, which is you know a specific you know subjective state, which is then you know labeled spiritual like after the fact. Um, but you know because of the interactive nature of these experiences, and you know, and as a result. Of or you know as a you know consequence of their striking uh, you know sense of you know solidity and of uh, and of you know reality um, even more real than everyday reality um, I you know um, I you know began developing a you know top down model which is a more you know theistic model um, it you know takes into account the presence of God and spiritual experience or you know uh, spiritual universes as externally objectively real um and you know this you know model uh, will or you know this model posits uh you know that the spiritual communicates with humans you know uh you know through the agency of the brain as opposed you know to the brain you know uh, you know generating these experiences you know so in a you know simplified you know sense you know the bottom up you know model will uh you know propose you know that the brain you know generates the experience of communicating with god or the impression of communicating with god and the top down you know model you know proposes you know that god or the spiritual you know this the spiritual universe uh communicates us or you know communicates with us using the brain and you know DMT uh you know theoretically anyway uh you know may play a you know role in um you know mediating you know the contents of the imagination which occur uh in these you know kinds of uh you know spiritual encounters yes something that i talk about a lot on on this podcast just to to give it a, a metaphor, a modern day metaphor is seeing our brain as a receiver, much like um, a Wi-Fi signal, right? That the, if, whether you have the Wi-Fi turned on or off on your computer, 
the signal still exists in the world. You just have it on or you have it off, right? And depending how strong your signal is, et cetera. And so is that an appropriate metaphor for the top-down model is that your brain is like the same way your computer is? It's turning on to tune into the signal or it's not? Well, you know, it's... As opposed to your computer creating the the system. Yeah, Um. Yeah, I'd say, you know, that's a good, you know, uh, a, you know, good overall description. Uh, you know, the model that I am, you know, developing is, you know, kind of beholden, you know, uh, to, um, you know, to the metaphysics of, of the, of, uh, the medieval Jewish, you know, philosophers, uh, who developed a, you know, system of, uh, you know, mechanisms describing, you know, the prophetic experience as articulated in, in, you know, figures of the Hebrew Bible or, you know, the Old Testament. And, you know, so, you know, well, the, well, the one component of, 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 you know, of, you know, my model, which uh, is an extension of the, you know, Wi-Fi model is, you know, that there still, you know, needs to be a desire on the part of the spiritual world or of, you know, the divine to communicate. You know, you can be in that state. You can have your Wi-Fi receiver on, but if, you know, there isn't a, like a, you know, conscious, you know, decision on the part of God or of the divine to communicate, then uh, you really aren't experiencing a, strictly speaking, spiritual experience. You know, it could be a you know new experience. It can be an altered state of consciousness, but it you know it you know may be more of a mirror you know than a window um, into the spiritual world. So, you know, there's the extra you know variable in you know, my model, which uh, you know takes into account you know divine will. Uh, wow, there's there's so much here um, to to dive into, and if 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 people now want to learn more about your this idea of top-down model versus bottom-up model. Where can they find you? Where can they read your books? Where can they learn more about this? Yeah, um, well, but, well, so people can, you know, contact me, you know, through my website. It's rickstrassman.com, um, and I have a contact link. Uh, you can order my books on Amazon. You could order them, you know, th- uh, well, on my site as well, in which case I will – inscribe and you know, sign the books um i've got you know i have a number of books out you um you uh, you mentioned uh my you know first you know book on dmt which is called dmt the spirit molecule and i uh, you know co-authored a book called inner paths to outer space with a number of other authors and we uh discuss in more you know detail the uh you know phenomena of you know contact with beings and my current book is called, you know, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy, in which case I, you know, develop, you know, my model, uh, which, you know, takes, you know, the DMT story into the realm of the Hebrew Bible. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Strassman, for um, sharing this today and for your work and introducing all of us to this incredible other realm that is out there and for us to explore. So I really appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. I appreciate you having me on your show. Great. Thank you, Dr. Strassman. 
I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And I would love to continue the conversation with each of you over at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash cosmos in you or our Twitter page. The Twitter handle also is Cosmos in You. And of course, at our website, cosmosinyou.com. Again, thank you so much for listening in. I'm so grateful to each of you to be able to share this shared passion and look forward to seeing you next time.